Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is David Campbell, the co-founder and CEO of Tropic. Just like so many of us never intended to end up in procurement, David never expected to become a CEO. And just like me, he has a degree in English literature, which I'm not really sure either one of us is using, David, are we? Uh, Not in any direct form, (laughs) but perhaps indirectly, uh, yes. But uh, no, I studied renaissance literature through the era of Milton, and that doesn't help you a whole lot running a procurement technology company. No, and and as somebody that specialized in Shakespeare, I can tell you that's not particularly useful either, although it is nice every once in a while. Some of that's still in my head. There'll actually be a play or something on TV, and I'll think, oh, yeah, I can still understand most of that. So it's a very small accomplishment. Excellent. An accomplishment, nonetheless, still in there. I, uh, I can relate. Excellent. Well, I I shared your unexpected journey to where you currently are in my intro, but why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your professional journey to this point? Yeah, certainly. Happy happy to do so. So I think things started for me in college. I attended UC Berkeley. That's where I studied uh, literature. And I've always been very driven by creative pursuits. And I actually thought that my calling in life was to write the next great American novel. And when I graduated, that's actually what I attempted, uh, operative word there being attempted. So I moved to a cabin in Northern California and I, I lived with no phone or internet for about a year and a half and produced a 400 page novel of uh, varying levels of worth. All in all, I would say <laughs> not not the next great American novel, but the experience was extremely valuable to me as uh, it, it gave me kind of you know clear line of sight into what it was that I wanted. And I've learned that what really motivates me is the joy of creation. And I've been able to do that in my capacity as a CEO since then. So, you know, I knew that I wanted to start a business. I was motivated by entrepreneurial pursuits and, um, you know, greater, smarter people than me in my life said that the best place to do that is in technology. So I came into tech. Uh, My first job in tech was actually a sales role at a, a very high growth marketing technology company. And as that company started to scale, I got my first exposure to procurement teams. And I remember thinking that, you know, on the sales side, we had this giant fleet of technology supporting our sales efforts. We had, you know, CRM tool, we had automation for outreach, we had, you know, limitless sources of data through tools like Zoom Info. We had Gong recording our calls and giving us insights on where we were effective based on, you know, AI that was being run over the audio. And the procurement teams we were selling to, uh, incredibly smart and capable people just didn't have the same technology and didn't have the same opportunity. And that's when, you know, procurement started to become very interesting to me. And I realized that there might be an opportunity to balance the scales. And uh, fast forward from there, I was a global business manager at Microsoft and led a $500 million territory there. So having been a VP of sales, at a high growth startup, I sold to 
initially other startups, and then eventually mid-market companies. And then at Microsoft, my purview was very much the Fortune 50. And I just realized that at every level, procurement teams were having a lot of challenges when it came to buying and managing software, and uh, in particular as a category. And that was when uh, I knew that there was an opportunity here and decided to, to leave and start Tropic. So from a cabin in Northern California, now certainly to tech, enormous pivot. And yet when you and I spoke last time, one of the things that you shared with me, and I want to make sure we bring it into this conversation, because I think it's it's sort of a bigger picture philosophy that underpins a lot of the investments that different kinds of companies are going to be making. You were talking about looking at where the high growth tech sector is currently investing their talent money. Do you mind resharing that thought sort of as a, a preface to our conversation about the tech itself? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we work with uh, a wide range of companies, but our sweet spot is definitely companies in the technology sector. Um, think B2B software companies, fintech companies, companies that are spending uh, an, an outsized amount on their technology. And I think that what's really interesting about this category, when you think about venture-backed technology startups and, you know, pre-IPO software companies. Um, this is a category that historically has been extremely slow to implement procurement, right? All of their uh, investment from a, a, talent, a, a talent perspective is typically going into research and development and engineering teams and then the sales teams uh, with very little thought given to the actual procurement process. And I think that the reason for that is that in recent years, the markets have absolutely favored companies that are investing to grow at all costs, right? There's, you know, countless stories of growth at all costs, companies kind of going bust. If you look at WeWork, um, if you look at Uber, um, when when these companies move into the, the public market. And I think that this year in particular, we've seen significant changes in what attributes are rewarded in the private and the public markets. And I think that technology in general has come to an understanding that efficient purchasing and cost management, um, these are actually just as important, if not more important than the growth, because without those business fundamentals, um, you wind up with a company that ultimately is not going to have the outcome that you want. So we've definitely seen this bear out in the talent acquisition strategies of these high growth technology companies that we work with. Even just last year, you probably wouldn't have seen a procurement manager at a technology company that was less than a thousand employees. You probably wouldn't have seen them building out a procurement function until they got to that roughly 1,000 person mark. Um, not only are we now seeing uh, teams getting built out in procurement at sub 1,000 people, we're, we're seeing it at sub 500 people. Um, you know, We're seeing companies with two and 300 employees that are just kind of getting started on their uh, product market fit journey in the technology sector, building procurement functions and hiring procurement managers. And I think that you know if you see where you know, the venture-backed tech sector is investing their dollars, you're really seeing into the future. Um, these are the companies that are setting market trends typically for products and digital transformation and also for org design. And these companies that I think are a window into our future are telling us that procurement is extremely important. And we're now willing to invest in procurement at earlier and earlier stages in our life cycle. And I think that's hugely affirming for people who have spent years and in some cases decades working in procurement, sort of waiting for everyone else to realize the opportunity of not just investing in procurement, but at the leadership level and sooner in your growth trajectory. 
I, I hope all those companies make good hire decisions and I hope the people that they bring in step up and do what's needed because I think that could potentially be very transformational for procurement as a whole if that trend bears the fruits that I think it will. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that procurement is very much having a moment right now. Um, procurement is front and center, especially in the high growth you know, tech sector mm-hmm. that I've been talking about. Procurement is a hundred percent in the spotlight as the hero of the organization right now, because with you know venture capital investments for growth stage companies drying up this year, um, with public market comps kind of dipping dramatically, the valuations that companies are getting have compressed. And these companies had planned on raising lots and lots of money this year, realized that they're now not in a position to raise money because they don't have the business fundamentals in place. And procurement is the team that is helping them do that. Um, you know, if you look at software expenses in particular, if you're a software company, your supply chain is software, right? And you're building right. products out of that software. And the cost of those products is directly related to your gross margins, to your cost of goods sold, to how you price your product. So if you have a really strong procurement team, it's actually a competitive advantage for you in the software space. It can lower the costs of building and selling your product so significantly that you can price more competitively and you can achieve those efficiency metrics that investors are looking for uh, to raise your next round of funding. So this is definitely procurement's time to shine. Now, if we think about even outside of the software industry, you know, a lot of times because procurement, we love our little categories. So we will often talk about technology as a specific and isolated category of spend it's really an incredibly broad category with a lot of different things in it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that as time goes on, if you think about the, you know, IT category manager, that could potentially be three or four different people as technology kind of continues to, to penetrate every aspect of the business because you have cloud software, you have still on-prem software and still perpetual licenses that are left over from, kind of that legacy model for companies like Oracle and Microsoft. You have you know, cloud infrastructure, which is really going to have to involve the CTO and you know, cloud compute, which is going to have to involve the CTO. You have hardware that these different programs are running on. There's lots of different types of spend that roll into the category of technology, and it's getting more complex by the day um, as companies like you know, Snowflake, for instance, which could arguably arguably could be a SaaS tool and arguably could also be a cloud tool. So which is it and how do you negotiate it? Those are uh, increasingly challenging questions to answer as, as technology becomes more and more robust. Now, when we think about some of the overarching business trends, I think certainly we're seeing uh, software, cloud software particularly, become an increasingly large category of spend topping some companies' lists. What do you think that are the trends that are behind driving that? Yeah, definitely. I think that what we're seeing is that it's just easier to outsource a lot of the things that go into this, right? So if if you, you know, think back to the 80s to the 90s where most companies that were software heavy were running homegrown applications, building those homegrown applications requires a lot more than just the key functionality of the application. You have to secure those applications. You have to monitor the usage of those applications. You have to do a lot of kind of internal heavy lifting to ensure that the application is being updated, um, that it's being secured, all the stuff that goes into that. And with the advent of cloud SaaS, you can literally outsource all of that, right? 
Um, you can outsource the need to have redundant servers. You can outsource the security concerns to the SaaS vendor who's in charge of securing the application themselves. And you can also make it very, very easy to get that application into the hands of the end users versus you know, a six to 12 month development cycle before that homegrown application is ready for prime time. So I think there's that piece of it. All of these adjacent services related to running an application are just easier to outsource and give to someone else and let the natural competitive dynamics of the tech environment drive better and better products that you can benefit from. And, um, and then I think the other piece of it is that there are folks out there that, you know, startups who are raising money, who are looking at hundreds of customers to build and iterate their products, and they can get extremely focused in very verticalized ways, right? They can build the dream product for an insurance company. They can build the dream product for a fintech company. And by getting all of that feedback from a very wide variety of customers, they can iterate and build that product a lot more successfully and a lot more quickly than any company can internally. So it's easier, um, it's less expensive, it's often more secure, uh, and it's faster to market to outsource. And I think that increasingly, as companies lean on efficiency, they see that SaaS is the way of the future. The more they can move those services out of their environment and achieve outcomes and partnership, uh, the better off they'll be. The key component there, of course, though, is ensuring that you are set up for success in the relationship. And that's where procurement comes in. As we outsource more and more, and as SaaS gets more and more prolific and continues to eat into our budgets, you hit the nail on the head. I think that, especially for our customer base, software is the second most expensive line item right after people. Uh, the need for procurement becomes increasingly pronounced as SaaS continues its march up upstream. Now, David, part of the importance of this whole cost management and efficiency of resources and everything is both what companies are investing in people and technology, but also the return that they get. And so from a software perspective, it really comes down to things like utilization. You know, are you making use of what you've paid for? Do you need the number of seats that you have? Are you getting the overall ROI? And making sure that there's not unnecessary risk being introduced at the same time. How do bigger picture factors like that play into the way that companies should think about how procurement can truly create value beyond savings, specifically within the cloud software category? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And one that we obviously spend quite a bit of time thinking about at Tropic. Tropic is an end-to-end -end SaaS purchasing platform that saves companies time and money but also that mitigates risk. And the reason that we focus on this is that cloud software has completely redefined risk, right? So if you think about, for, for instance, security risk, um, it's not necessarily one-to-one -one risk to expense of software. And that's something that I think makes software sourcing extremely complicated. What I mean by that is, you know, if you have a spend threshold, say it's $100,000, as many procurement teams do, where only uh, software software platforms that are above $100,000 in spend go through a formal InfoSec review, um, you're not set up for success. While that may hold true for more on-prem softwares and other types of technology. And the reason for that is sometimes the least expensive software poses the greatest security risk. And you might inadvertently enable an engineer to buy something for $5,000 with a credit card that opens you up for a risk of breach, which would be, you know, catastrophically expensive in the long run versus 
you know, the whatever the fees are of that technology. So, you know, risk is uh, is its own animal when it comes to SaaS procurement. And I think that the smartest procurement teams are balancing all of these things together. It's not just the cost of the tool. It's also the risk that the tool presents. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, as you astutely pointed out, it's the value of that the platform is going to drive for the organization, right? So if you have a marketing platform or a sales platform that you know will be adopted, that's a high quality tool, that's going to dramatically increase top line potentially for the business and therefore might be worth in a, you know, justifying a higher price tag than a cheaper tool that will have less of an impact on the top line. So we now kind of find ourselves in a world where you need to balance all of these things and hold all of these things in tension when evaluating a software purchase. What is the value of the tool? What is the risk that it poses? And what is the actual dollars and cents associated with buying this platform? Because uh, you know, making the wrong decision or opting strictly for cost savings early on might lead to buying a very high risk tool that opens up security issues or is not adopted and doesn't enable those growth oriented teams to do their jobs effectively. So, um, so when I think about procurement teams really creating value, it's creating value in that holistic perspective. And there's a really great McKinsey article about this. McKinsey, I can't remember the exact article name, but if you search for McKinsey software procurement excellence, you'll find it. They did a pretty comprehensive study of what excellence looks like, particularly in software procurement. And it speaks to a lot of these things, that cost savings are truly just the tip of the iceberg and that the companies that are doing this the best have such thorough empowerment and such rich market knowledge that procurement now becomes the the category expert rather than that functional stakeholder that wants to buy the tool. Because that's kind of what the world without procurement excellence looks like. It's someone in marketing saying, hey, this is the best possible tool for this use case. I need to buy it right now. I've already looked at everything else and this is the best price that I can get. And without really rich market knowledge, it's hard for procurement to say otherwise. But in a world of procurement excellence, uh, these you know software sourcing experts really do know the landscape inside and out and have access to unrestricted data on the players that are out there so that they can start you know mapping out outcomes that are going to move the needle for the organization in not just cost savings but also risk mitigation uh, value creation ROI and all of those other metrics well and that brings us sort of full circle back to the point where now we can see why high growth tech is spending so much money on their procurement function because if you don't manage all of these balance as well you're both opening yourself up to risk and also wasting these important investments and, and truly not getting any value in return. Um, so David, as we start to wrap up our time, I want to give you a pair of questions. And this is a tradition. We, we go through this with every single guest that joins me here on the show. Your options are, what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you? Or how would you say what heroism looks like in a business context. The choice there is yours. Yeah, so I think I would define a sourcing hero. And I think that a sourcing hero is almost like uh, you know, a sales leader times a thousand, right? It's somebody that can adopt the critical thinking required to navigate a complex sales process, but not just the one sales process that you're selling, uh, but the hundred that you might be buying, right? And that requires, you know, insane project management and execution skills. I do think that 
this is you know one of the most valuable positions in a company. And what I think separates people who are truly excellent from others is that the truly excellent uh, sourcing heroes or procurement professionals are people that lead with empathy, that lead with transparency, that go the extra mile to build significant brand and relationships inside the companies that they work for so that they are revered as that true category subject matter expert. Because if, you know, in the world of cloud software, which is the only one that I really feel qualified to speak to, a sourcing hero can fundamentally change the business. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, they can fundamentally change the gross margins. They can fundamentally change the cost of goods sold. They can fundamentally change the pricing that uh, that the organization can set to achieve their goals. And that to me is, you know, insane strategic power inside the organization. So I think it's marrying one kind of the the savviness and project management and multitasking required to navigate all of these processes. And two, really incredible relationship building skills and public speaking skills and an ability to kind of demonstrate that authority and expertise that really puts procurement at the center. So Dave, if people have listened in to our conversation today and want to connect with you, want to learn more about what Tropic does, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, there's a couple ways. The easiest one is to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I add everybody that requests me and we can start a conversation there. If you'd like to learn more about Tropic specifically, you can email me um, and I will put you in touch with the right person on our side. And my email is david at tropicapp.io. So that's T-R-O-P-I-C-A-P-P dot I-O. Thank you so much, David. My pleasure. Happy to be here with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for the Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.